welcome to Trek Companion. This is episode 80. I am your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And this is our annual holiday episode. Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, Happy New Year, whatever it is you celebrate. Uh, Merry one to you. And um, we do not follow our normal format for this one episode out of the year. This episode, we are not uh, episodic reviews. We're just going to talk about some other stuff. So if you just follow us for the reviews, uh, come back in a couple weeks and you're going to get the next three episodes. And I totally respect that. If you just want to hear some guys chat about lots of stuff, including some Star Trek comic books, some Star Trek board games, Star Trek video games. We're going to offer our thoughts on The Hobbits. We've got a guest who's going to join us in a bit. We're going to talk about some of our favorite movies and TV shows of the year. Um, it's just us kind of relaxing and hanging out. Uh, if, you're, if that sounds cool to you, then uh, let's <laughs> then grab your hot chocolate, turn up the fire, <laughs> turn on your, your Star Trek ornament lights, and uh, enjoy. Here we go. Uh, I wanted to uh, briefly discuss um, kind of Star Trek comics, mostly just like where they're at right now. Um, uh, if you're remotely interested in Star Trek comics, of course there's a massive history going all the way back to the Golden Key from the, I believe it was the late 60s, certainly by the late 70s, you know, there's the Golden Key, they were the first ones. And over the year, decades, like everybody's, you know, um, Marvel had it for a while, DC had the license for a while, Wildstorm had it for just a couple of years there. They did some really good, especially like some of the one-shot um, hardcovers they did were really good. Um, but over the decades, there have been a lot of different, you know, licensees and stuff. Uh, if you're interested in one, there's, I can't remember the name of it, but it wouldn't be that hard to find. Google it or look it up on Amazon. There's a whole book that's just about the history of Star Trek comics. I think it's called Star Trek Comics, A History or something like that. You can still get that book. It's pretty good, actually. Um, and then if you're really interested, there is a, like a DVD-ROM you can buy that has Every a PDF of every single comic up until the modern era. So pretty much until like 2002 or 2003, it has every single comic prior to that. You know, I mean, it's nuts. I've had it for years and I've still not read like everything. <laughs> you know, uh, but the kind of the modern state. You know, so IDW has had the license for a few years now, and they have done some really cool stuff. And a couple of these things I talked about. One, I don't, this doesn't exactly count. But they, they put together these beautiful two-volume, this two-volume set now, because I think maybe last year I talked about the first volume of um, all the newspaper comics from the late 70s and early 80s. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the first volume came out a year ago. The second volume just came out. I haven't looked at the second volume yet, yet because I'm, I hope, I'm hoping that it's wrapped with my name on it under the tree. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm sure I'll, I mean, that first one took me months, and that was just really neat from a nostalgia point of view. But anyway, so the modern stuff that that IDW is doing. They've also done some other, like, you know, uh, why don't you call that, like, compilations where they've taken some of the older, other companies' comics and put them into compilations. But they're modern stuff. So they did, um, they did a Legion of Superheroes kind of crossover, which was, was actually pretty decent. They did a Doctor Who crossover, a couple issues of that, which I, I, I'm not much of a Doctor Who fan. I mean, it's cool, I just never really got into it. But uh, the they did a Star Trek: The Next Generation Doctor Who crossover, a couple of volumes that were actually really good. So I 
I think they were successful enough that maybe we're going to get some more. But those were really good. And there was like, there was some, what was it called? Uh, assimilation, I think is what what it was called. Um, and then the um, that Legion of Superheroes crossover, that was a crossover with the original series. Um, and then they did, uh, now this has been a couple of years ago now, but they did, they did like, they were kind of looking back through the canon of, of the movie adaptations and they realized nobody had ever done Star Trek II. Uh, so they did a modern, they did Star Trek II, uh, kind of a modern version of it. And then they did something that I really, really loved and you can still find this. Then they took, they took their modern Star Trek II comic and put it with the original Star Trek uh, three and four comic books from the 80s, you know, that other companies did. And they kind of cleaned them up and stuff, made them look a little bit better. And then they put them into one volume called the Motion Picture Trilogy. So it's really neat because over the years we haven't gotten very much of that kind of mm-hmm. recognition of the accidental trilogy, you know? Mm-hmm. But this is really neat. It's like one comic book. Yeah, I mean, obviously it goes from Star Trek II, which is a very modern comic book looking comic, into 80s art style, cheaper comic. But still, it was cool to get that. I really, I really, I like that book. And it's got, a, it's got some weight to it, obviously. It's, it's pretty big. I mean, it's like a couple hundred pages. Um, so that's, that's really neat and fun. But the main thing, of course, that they're doing now is stuff based on the JJ verse. Um, they did that prequel to his first movie, which was, it was fantastic. I'm just going to say this. It was really good. And it was really like, it really set up the movie, you know, cause it had all the prime universe stuff, had Picard and everything. And it had, um, it had Spock going out there before he gets time travels into the JJ verse. Um, and it was really good and it really, really set it up. I mean, it really feels like a prequel to the movie, is my point. And then later, after the movie came out, they did an adaptation of the movie. And, and kind of their usual stick is they'll do, you know, a multi-issue arc, and then they'll put them into one trade. I mean, everybody's kind of doing that now, but um, that's also what they did for the uh, for their adaptation of the first JJ movie. Um, and then, because their prequel to the first JJ movie was so successful, they did a prequel to the new one. You know. Uh, into Darkness. Unfortunately, the Countdown to Darkness was not nearly as good as Countdown. And Countdown to Darkness was incredibly disappointing because it had almost nothing to do with the actual movie. Um, yeah, there's like one line in the movie that references it, but basically it was not a prequel, you know? And uh, they said the reason was because they couldn't give away Khan. Um, so now they're going back and they're doing some, uh, like a Khan prequel. Um, so I was very disappointed with the Countdown to Darkness, but we'll see what the, the con prequel stuff is. I think, I mean, it's out, started coming out now, but the trade hasn't yet, so I haven't seen it. Um, and then, so the, 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 the final thing I'll mention here, so the, so the current real status is, you know, the ongoing, and I think I've talked about this a little bit, but, but basically they, they're doing half kind of new stories and half reimagining original series episodes with the JJ crew, um, and then they've, they've been doing the same kind of thing, you know, so there's, there's monthly issues, and they're usually either two or maybe four issue arcs, and then they put four issues together in a trade. Um, and I just got volume six, which has the first issues that took place after Into Darkness. Um, so, I mean, they, they marketed it and played it up like it's, you know, 
picking up where Into Darkness left off, but again, not really a very much of a direct storyline. So if you're interested in that, then you're going to be disappointed. But just overall, it has been fun. It has been kind of cool. You know, they have done, I think I mentioned this, but they had an entire comic for Cupcake, you know, the, the red shirt from the first, from the, he was more almost an extra, but he had a couple of lines. You know, they had an entire comic that was, that was the, the, backstory to how this is in the JJ verse, how Bones, you know, where he came from, how he became a doctor and all that stuff. They had an entire issue kind of on the history of um Keener or Keenzer, excuse me, and how Scotty found him and how Scotty ended up at that um outpost he was in in the first JJ movie. So that kind of stuff I, I enjoy that, you know. I really do. I still have the fundamental problem. This is my own personal problem. Where when I'm reading a comic book, I kind of blow through it because I'm just reading the panels, and I realize I'm missing out on the art. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, I've always had that problem. But anyway, I think IDW is doing a lot of cool stuff. Another thing I asked my wife for for Christmas, so I can't comment on it because I haven't seen it, is when IDW first started, they did a lot of stuff with John Byrne, who's kind of a legend in comics. You know, he's doing a lot of big stuff, and they just recently uh, put out a hardcover compilation with a bunch of his his work um like they did he did one with original series like um mccoy you know they put anyway they put a bunch of the john byrne stuff in one all the john byrne star trek stuff in one book so i'm looking forward to that and um with that i will stop talking about star trek comics because i'm probably boring my compatriots (laughs) here on the podcast (laughs) no so i am i actually not too long ago bought that um the, what was it? The crossover comic you were talking about, the one before Which, the the first the first one that the first Abrams comic. I haven't finished. I haven't. Count, I've got a countdown. My bad. Yeah, countdown. Right. Yeah, yeah I got it. All. I'm. I'm. Which I was kind of disappointed. On, I mean, I'm not disappointed in the comic, but I was disappointed on, with it on the actual iPad because you can't like zoom in and zoom out. So it's kind of it doesn't it doesn't fill a page. So that's well, it lets you jump into each panel, right? Kind of. Kind yeah, of, which, it, yeah, which app are you using? I mean, I, uh, I'll, I'll the, say uh, that I, for the most books. part, I buy these. I buy the physical versions since the mm-hmm. the digital versions cost the same as the physical. I don't, why aren't the digital ones cheaper? It's annoying. Yeah. Um, so I tend to buy the actual physical copies. But I know there is yeah. one. There's an, actual, there's an actual Star Trek iPad app, like an IDW app that is just for Star Trek. And then there's another. You know, there's all the regular like Comixology. Uh, where if you've bought those, then you can bring those purchases into Comixology. Um, and that's I'm pretty sure that that... Comixology? It, yeah, I'm, well, yeah, and then there's a couple more too, but I'm pretty sure they do let you... They let you jump into each... They let you fill the screen with each individual panel if you want, which is great, like on the iPhone, which is so small. Um, but on an iPad, on a bigger iPad, it's usually... You can, it usually is decent for me with a page. All right, I'll play around with it some more. But yeah, it was it was kind of hard to get into it because it was just yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, moving on. All right, guys, you guys see the Hobbit? Yes, I did. I now, did first question: Did everybody see it at, at forty-eight frames per second, or as I believe Steve, you mentioned to me last week? Peter Jackson Crapple Vision. <laughs> uh, yes, I saw it. Yes, that version. And, and Caesar, you saw it at forty-eight. I did. They they their marketing term for this is HFR or high frame rate. Forty-eight frames a second is twice the twenty-four. Now we 
saw it last year, and I believe when I mean, we saw the previous Hobbit, Hobbit film at that frame rate last year, and I think we were all pretty sour on it. Um, but it seems like everybody has felt a little bit like it wasn't quite as bad this year, this version of the movie, this, this movie, the, as far um, as I think the I was technical pre- side. Yeah, I think I was a little bit more prepared. For, I'm not sure if it was any better or worse, but I just think I was. I went in knowing what to expect. Last year was a little bit like you didn't quite know what to expect. So, well, I would we all agree that the movie was a little bit better and a little bit more entertaining than last year? Because maybe, so. yeah, maybe yeah. that alone makes it. Maybe that alone makes the the frame rate issue not stick out. But I, I got to tell you, immediately, you know that that Warner Brothers logo shield thing kind of spins on the screen and you're. Like, my God, what's going on for me? <laughs> yeah, 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 it's messed you know? with you. Yeah, agree. I, I understand where Peter Jackson is coming from. I understand the logic of saying young people today are used to 60 frames per second video games and, and they're going to like this. But uh, it doesn't seem like, like nobody else has talked about it. With the exception of James Cameron, years from now, on Avatar sequels, nobody else seems to be interested in doing this. It seems like filmmakers are very turned off by it. So I don't know if this is actually going to catch on. I kind of just assumed it would a year ago, but now I'm kind of not so sure. Um, I don't know, maybe it's inevitable, but we can kind of come and go back to the 48 frames per second thing. I mean, so what do you guys think of the movie? I thought it was good. Um, um, yeah, like, you know, I mean, you knew this would be a lot more action-packed. It had, you know, obviously smogs coming out, and, you know, there were a lot of great scenes with smog. It's, it's a little more action a bit faster pace than the first one. I actually kind of, it's kind of the pace as the, to me it's kinda, it feels like the same pace as the Lord of the Rings. I mean, you know, Fellowship, a little slower paced, so I kind of, for top of the movie to be slower paced than it was, and then, you know, things actually do pick up in the second movie, and the second hobby, the, the Desolation of Smog, as they did in the, the Two Towers. So, um, he seems to be going at the same, same kind of pace that he was with um, the original three. Yeah, I don't know if I agree with that. I don't agree with that because I felt like in the Lord of the Rings films, the two tenths was the slowest of the three. But I guess that's a different conversation. But yeah. definitely, I still kind of complain. Okay, so so I saw the theatrical version of The Hobbit a year ago, uh, Unexpected Journey, and I was kind of down on it because I thought it was slow, and I thought you know just it was just bloated and too long, and the concept of a 45-minute dinner scene was absurd in a movie that's already almost three hours. It was just too long. Um, and I complained about the 40th minute second. And Caesar, you said, well, you know, watch it at 24, and I think you'll, I think you'll be able to enjoy the movie more. And so the next time I watched it was when the extended edition came out on Blu-ray 3E, which is obviously at 24 frames a second a couple months ago. Um, and yes, I was able to enjoy it a bit more at 24. However, it was even longer, and I literally fell asleep watching it. <laughs> <laughs> it was only like so, ten minutes longer. I haven't seen it. Yeah, it yeah. It's only I think longer. it's only like eleven. Yeah, eleven minutes longer. That said, this this film it was a lot more interesting. Not just that there's more going on, but that the stuff going on is like important to the plot in a way that some of the scenes in the last, even action scenes in the last one, I felt like you know if you rip that. I complained about the the rock guys sequence. If you took that out of the movie, it would have had zero zero effect on the narrative of the film. None. What's it would have had no effect whatsoever if you just took it out. Which to me means you should take it out if your movie's three hours long. But this film, I felt like 
the action scenes, they were the narratively important. Um, they were in the right spots to kind of keep the the pace going. It's still, I'm sorry, but it still didn't need to be nearly three hours long. Um, but it was much better. You know, it had action scenes that had original things in them that I'd never seen before. I really enjoyed that action scene going down the river. You know, oh, yeah. it's a pretty big set piece. Yeah. That was fantastic. There was there was there was there were scenes and shots in there I've never seen that in a movie before. You know that's great. And then of course, best dragon stuff I've ever seen in a movie. All the smog stuff was amazing, um, incredible. Um, that alone makes made me want to watch it on screen again a second time. You know, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with everything that's been said. Really, I think that. Um, you know, I, I don't like the notion of what they did to begin with, how they separated this into three films, and they did it, and then on top of it made them really long films. It doesn't make any sense, you know. I mean, I mean, I understand it from a marketing standpoint, but if they're going to separate them out, why do they have to be so long? So I really had a problem with the first one in that respect. This one, I think because its very nature was, there was a lot more action scenes, and, and since they were you know, getting somewhere and having to face certain you know, obstacles and whatnot, they could justify these action scenes in their place in the movie. So, and I, and I honestly think back to the 48 frames a second stuff, I think that it lends itself better to those scenes, you know, stuff that's, stuff that's high paced and you're immersive and you just feel like you're falling into it, like you're playing a game or something, that works better. I think it's when you, you sit back and it's a, and it's a sl- subtle, slow moving thing and it just feels, this doesn't feel like anything I'm used to. So it's bizarre, and I don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe someday, this will be. Maybe it's just uh, getting used to it, that kind of thing. I don't know, but um, it just, it feels like hyper reality, and it m- makes me edgy during parts that you're not supposed to. Yeah, be edgy. well, I think that it, it has this one. It has a very weird effect in that it makes some of the sets really feel like sets, and some of the costumes and makeup yes. really seem like costuming and makeup. It's too. Yeah. It's, that's not just the frame rate. That's also the incredible high resolution of the whatever it was six K red camera. I don't know five K at least. Um, but like I remember several like have a sequence right near the beginning when they're all kind of they're supposed to be standing around near each other in the woods and they're, they right before they decide to go to the to the uh, the beast's house, you know. And it's just like man, it looks like they're on a set. And I just and I know their quality is higher than that. Uh, I, so I'm sure it has to be the HFR and and the and the res of the camera and stuff. It's like you said, it's like hyper reality. And I'm sorry, no set or costume ever is going to actually come from Middle Earth. Therefore, <laughs> yeah. showing me hyper reality footage of it is going to look fake. Yeah, yeah, I, I I agree totally. I think that that like you said, the makeup, the costumes, the set. It's because it's like you are there. Well, the, you do think that'd be a positive thing on the surface, but the problem is that's not what it. That's not what going to the movies is about. That's not what films are about. You know, it's got to be. It, it's a fake thing that's made to seem real in the setting. Well, I don't know if it's a matter of sets and costumes and whatnot are that, or maybe maybe that I'd, I'd be curious to see what this looks like. I totally totally CGI thing or something animated or maybe even a documentary that's supposed to be like you, you are there and it is real and so on maybe I have a different opinion on it then yeah I kind of felt like um, I mean this this whole concept it's in its infancy mm-hmm. and it seems like they haven't got the lighting right you know it yeah. still seems like they're it's lighting for, it seems like they're still lighting for 24 frames a second and you you know you have a lot of hot spots 
to me, you know, there's a lot of hot spots in the lighting, and it's just... Yeah, there were a lot of, like, skies that were just completely blown out white. Totally blown you know, out. I think where it really works is, like, you know, in, in the smog scenes and the action scenes, I think it really works well, and I think that's what they really want this to be for because at 20 when you do 3d at 24 frames per second there's a lot they i've heard filmmakers complain about the blurriness and the movie goes complain about blurriness so i mean i kind of wish there was a way they could kind of probably not but like a way to transition back and forth because for me the 48 it doesn't work in like real life scenes when there's just dialogue and they're just kind of talking or but in the action scenes it really works well because you kind of it, like Steve was saying. You're kind of immersed into it, and it 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 feels it it feels more real. But in the actual dialogue scenes, whether um, it's in and even Evangelica doing her doctoring on on dwarf, it just like it's like you said, the the sets feel the, the sets feel fake, and, and to me, it's not because it's lack of of you know you know quality or anything like that it's just that the lighting is just it seems just too much for what they're what the rate that they're filming at and i just don't think they're quite they're not there it's just like I said, it's just a new technology and i can see all the the high ceiling with it and you know 20 years from now i'll be like wow but i kind of feel like we're watching the first um talkie movies or first um, mm-hmm. color color movies and i think that's where we're at with the hobbit i think probably in 10 maybe even five ten years this won't be an issue. They'll have, they'll figure out a whole new science to lighting with frame rate because I definitely don't think they're. Yet. I don't know though because like a year ago, that's a year ago. The way I felt was, well, I don't like it, but this is the future. Oh well, you know this is this is inevitable. That's what I thought a year ago. Now I'm not so sure. I mean, it seems. I'm starting to think that it's that. I don't know. It's like, like I think I missed last year. You know, Peter Jackson said, and it sounded like a good point. Do we just want to agree that in 1927 they reached the pinnacle of technology as far as film, and it's that we haven't improved since then? I think that's logical. It's not like there's something magical in our genes about 24 frames a second. It's just a lifetime of training mm-hmm. what this means. Um, but, God, I just... I, I can't imagine. I'm starting to to doubt inevitability of the high frame rate future. I think maybe I think probably with, I think Steve, you mentioned um, animation. There'll probably be more a future for the 48 frame rate in animation. I, even then, for example, every when you go see an animated movie or even a, a, a live action movie where the whole shot is CG and mm-hmm. something's moving, every single one of those frames takes hours and hours and hours on big a- oops almost cussed again on big render farms <laughs> to render out every mm-hmm. single frame. Yeah true. Mm-hmm. When you go see it at in three D, you've just doubled that render time and that it cost because you have to do it every time. Now go see it at forty eight frames per second in three D and you've doubled your cost and time again. Right. Well, like they, so, this is the long haul. I mean so you know, like I said it's forty eight frames per second live back frames per second live action, that's just a button in the camera. It doesn't really cost me anything extra. 48 frames per second animation costs you tw- almost twice as much. Well, the, the smog scenes cost them twice as much. That's all. Yeah. yeah. So, I'm just suggesting that maybe animation isn't such a such an obvious you know, outlet. Well, like I, said, I mean, you know, 10, 10, like I said, 10, 20 years now, 
you know, that won't be, I mean, you know, the computers will be that much better and it won't be as competition. So I, I truly believe there's a future for this and there's a high ceiling for it, but it's, it's not there yet. It, it needs more work and, and experimenting. I, my feeling is I, I don't mind them, you know, I wish they wouldn't experimented with the Hobbit. Mm. You know, I would rather just, you know, like, you know, the remake of RoboCop. You know, do it with some, do t- something, you know, where you're not going to be spending a lot of money on actors and budget and story. You know, it's it's more of an experimental action film. So I kind of wish they would have went that route instead of messing with it. Because, uh, um, I mean, I think we can all, I think we mentioned this last year, the same thing, but. It is what it is. We've got one more film to go through. And see if it's it's so better. funny that we all felt so compelled to see it this way, even though we. Sounds like we all kind of felt we would have not seen it this way. Yeah, just, but, for me, it's just that that sense of this is this is the movie that he made. This is how Peter Jackson wants me to see it. I feel yeah. obligated to see it that way one time. Mm-hmm. You know, the first time, really. But and 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 I I I disliked it less. It wasn't as bad as it was a year ago. But still, the times when it took me out of the movie, I consciously thought. I wish I was just watching this at 24 frames per second. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. For me, it took me about 10 minutes. It's kind of like a, um, a subtitle movie. It takes me about 10 minutes to kind of get in the movie. I kind of the same with um, what was it, Les Mis last year. It takes you like because it's distracting. It's like I have to like train my brain to get used to it, and that's kind of how mm-hmm. it was. Like the first five, 10 minutes with this last movie, I'm like, okay, that's how it is. Okay, get get into it. Get in. so it takes me. So um, I agree with what you were saying, Brian, earlier. It's like you know, it actually takes you out of the movie and the story. Um, whereas last year it took me, you know, it was kind of taking me out of the movie throughout the whole movie. This year it was maybe only the first 10, 15 minutes until I kind of, and it's kind of, I expect this year I knew what to expect. So. Well, you know what's silly about all that is, for example, with 3D, I'm watching a 3D movie and even if I really like this, even when the 3D is really good, which I mean, sometimes it can be bad, right? But even if the 3D is the best 3D is, most of the time, after 15 or 20 minutes, I stop noticing it. I stop realizing yeah. it's there. And, yeah. then I just, and then by the end of the movie, I'm, I'm, when I'm going to take off my glasses, I think, well, if I don't even notice the halfway into the movie, if I just get used to it and then I forget about it, what's the point? Why, <laughs> <laughs> why even the trouble or spend the extra five bucks, you know? Yeah, glasses and everything. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I thought this still the best 3D movie I've seen as far as is Avatar, um, best you know, that's been that's going on what three, four, you know, what five years since that came out, roughly. Well, you know, we'll talk about some of our favorite movies later, but uh, we talk, we should talk about Gravity, and that's an example. That's the first example ever oh, yeah, where a movie yeah. was shot. It was actually shot 2D, but they rendered because so much it was of it was CG. It's not exactly the same as post conversion. In that instance, they did render it out stereoscopically, uh, but I actually thought the 3D was. Was was effective in that film, but we'll we'll talk about that later. Um, I think uh, I think we've kind of talked about Hobbit for a little bit here. So uh, so I'm you know I'm looking forward to finishing it out next year. Steve, I agree with something you said. I think that by the time the next one comes out, I'm going to look at them and think, man, they could have made one or maybe at most two really good movies instead of three decent movies of all the footage. You know, that's what I expect to feel. Yeah. You ready to talk about some board games, Steve? Sure. I don't know how much I have to say, but... Well, you talk about your board games, and then I'll talk about some video games. Right. Let's go ahead. 
Yeah, <laughs> we're recording. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, yeah, Star Trek games. I did a little bit of research, um, even narrowing it down to games just having to do with the next generation, since that's the current series we're discussing, would, you know, a comprehensive history would take multiple hour-long yeah, podcasts on and on. Yeah. Um, but uh, so I decided just to speak of a few that I had personal experience with. Um, I do remember, um, and Brian, perhaps you remember as well, going back, the first game I think I recall having related to Next Generation was this game, something called um, a game of trivia, exploration, and discovery. It was a board game. It had to do with trivia. It also did, it was like a you're moving a ship about on a board, that, and it was a little clunky. <laughs> you know. that the one, was that the one that came in almost like a tin box? No, nah, this one was a more of a rectangular big box, and it had a standard board that looked like space, and it was trivia, and you moved Did it Did it have, out. like, stupidly hard questions, or am I confusing it with a different one? Uh, that, may, that sounds right. It may be, like, the, you know, like what was on the sign in the corridor episode, <laughs> you know, this kind of thing. And so, yeah, it was it was frustrating. And, not, and this came out very shortly after the beginning, relatively speaking, probably late 80s, you know. Um, so I had that game. Um one that I'm still quite fond of and don't play much is the Seenit, Star Trek Seenit, you know, which includes, of course, all the series. And this was just a few years back, although they don't seen it. Uh, that company is now they've stopped making those. But I always thought that was a, a nice format for a board game, and it was a lot of fun. Um, although it was always difficult to find people to play that with, you know, it usually had to be me against like an army of people. To be I was fair, we we played that together once, right? I think yes. I was like I was kind of disappointed that they didn't do. A better job with like the actual clips and the questions about them and stuff, you know? Yeah, true. I mean, it's like they had so many clips and then they were yeah. questioned around them. And sometimes it'd be like this huge long clip and it was like, what was the f- the fourth word that so and so said in this scene or mm-hmm. something stupid, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's true. I, I always, I, I guess, I always liked the scene it kind of format of a game in general. So it was it was really cool to see Star Trek come out and it was really cool that it included all of the series and all of the movies. So I enjoyed that. Um, one. Uh, yeah, a, a game that you know occupied a lot of my time and money back in the 90s primarily was the uh, Star Trek customizable card game made by Decipher. Uh, that was like mid-late 80s, or mid-late 90s rather. I know they don't make that game anymore, but is Decipher still around? No, I don't believe... If they are, I don't know what they do. I, I, don't, I don't think so. They... Um, but they made that game start off just next gen, and they added other series to it. I had all the first year, the first uh, rendition of that that lasted a few years, and they kind of rebooted it in a way, and I started doing that, and then I stopped. This was around early 2000s, I guess. Caesar and I played. You remember playing that game? Oh yeah. I, I never. I played it maybe a little bit with you, Steve, but mostly I remember I played it a lot with Caesar when we were in college. Oh, cool, yeah. cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did tournaments and everything. Yeah. Yeah, and I uh, I collected the cards. I had all the cards, and I, and I still one thing I actually have still displayed out, and uh, is uh, some autographed cards that I got at conventions and so forth. So they're kind of unusual, and they're smaller, and you can display them. And they had kind of a there was some like foil cards or something you could actually just get super super lucky and get an actual signed card in a pack. Or am I thinking of something different? I don't know if they did that. I know no? there've been card series that do that but okay, i'm not maybe there's I think that's a different else. thing yeah and then i think they got into an art they i think they bought that company bought out the, the people that made the role-playing game in the late 90s uh and they did that for a while and then they stopped but um that was that yeah i i, I had the it wasn't card based but i i still have i have a couple of books they were almost like D D, but with star trek but they were 
They were yeah. books. Like there was a DS9 one, an original series, maybe a next gen. I have, I remember, I have those books. I never got around to playing them. Is that the same? Yeah, something? I think so. I think so. I mean, because I bought a, a few of those books. Uh, this is the late '90s, and then um, I know Decipher bought them and continued it for a brief time. Uh, it was interesting reading. I never did play it either. I I just liked to all the detail and so forth. It was interesting, of course, but. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I and I did play. And I know we're going to segue into more of the video game format. I did play a couple of computer games over the course of like in the heyday, like in the '90s. There was a Deep Space Nine game that was that was quite good. I remember, um, very old. You know, uh, I'm sure it looked clunky and yeah. One, one more, now. I want to I want to ask about before we, we yeah. video games. Uh, I wanted to mention so now, kind of, it's more of a. We're not getting so much original stuff, but what we're getting is kind of licensed, you know. So we got like we got like Star Trek Monopoly, for example. Yeah. So, you know, and I was always a little bit dis. I I think I bought. They did. They said they were going to do like all four quadrants or series or something, but they only ended up doing a couple. Mm-hmm. I think they I think they did Next Gen and then the original series maybe. This sounds very right. quickly. Uh, I think I have those two somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I was just I was disappointed because the actual names and all that stuff it wasn't very creative or interesting and the actual the artwork they used the images for like you know the properties and stuff weren't weren't particularly cool but you know i mean it was still star trek and so i I think i got like at least one of them Mm -hmm. um but anyway that's what we've got a lot of in the last decade for these games right it's been more like just taking the license and putting it on a pre-existing game Mm -hmm. but that's not always bad um i've got one in the closet and if you live in la los angeles and you know how to play Catan. Let me know and t- come and teach me, because I bought the Star Trek Catan board game, uh, and I got it at Target, which was awesome. You know, like this just I've seen it seemed it like there. I don't even know what it is. yeah, it seemed like such a specific kind of thing. Like Catan is already so it's a popular board game, but it's like a board game players board game. You know, guys that are really right. into board games, this kind of, that kind of game. Which I mean, I'm not obviously, but I respect that. I totally respect that the, that culture and those people. Um, but that they did a Star Trek license, and they, in fact, they just recently did an expansion. Uh, but anyway, I bought the Star Trek Catan game, and it's in my closet, and I'd like to know how to play it. <laughs> so, <laughs> if somebody wants to teach me to play it, that'd be awesome. So that's that's the kind of thing that we're getting now, and that's and that's cool, you know. So or and they and they'll do like you know they'll come up with like some special rules. So I got the Star Trek Scrabble game, for example. Um, did you get the, ever get that one, Steve? No, no, I don't think so. Yeah, and this was recent, like within the last three or four years and uh they had a separate set of rules the star trek variation rule variations if you wanted to play that way um and and it was it was kind of neat stuff you know it was like star trek kind of stuff that they added i mean it was optional but it was it was cool you know so just because it's a licensed version of a pre-existing game doesn't isn't necessarily bad so. I have a Star Trek Uno game, I believe, that has some of those kind of rules. Yeah, like Star, special Star Trek rules. Yeah, I got that. I, have, I think I have that, too. Uh, so, yeah, so the video games. Um, so, yeah, you were talking about, well, similar to the board games, there were, some, there were a lot of, there were a lot of uh, computer games in the early 90s and mid-90s. I remember one we played at your house a lot when we were kids, Steve, was, was that talk show not talk show a game show with yeah like, yeah <laughs> with like live action cue uh-huh you know um so there was a whole there were a whole bunch of games in the early to mid 90s that had like full motion video because in the early to mid 90s that was so amazing to see that on your computer yeah, screen yeah. <laughs> so they would shoot like they actually got delancey and they shot him i guess in front of a green screen so they could put him it looked almost like wheel of fortune or something mm-hmm. 
unfortunately, I don't know if you've played any of those games in a while, Steve, but they do not hold up because they are mid-90s postage stamp size video with 90s compression. You know, they just, mm-hmm. I mean, aside from the fact that, especially for like trivia games, you know, they, they, they're hopelessly dated because they weren't done when the shows were done. I mean, as in when the shows were finished. So maybe right. the entire next-gen trivia section is about three seasons of next-gen exclusively, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I can't – I don't think most of those things held up. Yeah, so, you know, Simon & Schuster had the license for a while there, and, and they put out a lot of stuff in the 90s, like I think that one, the, 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 the talk show thing, mm-hmm. the game show thing. And, and they did a lot of, like, reference stuff, which at the time was really cool, but now I think it's just it's just hopelessly dated. Um, the Starship Creator, and um, they had one where you were like your captain's chair. I think was the one where you got mm-hmm. to walk around the ship. That was pretty neat. Or no, interactive technical manual. Mm-hmm. That was that one was cool. But uh, the, they did an encyclopedia, the companions. You know, those things were neat at the time, but I think they're just hopelessly dated now. Mm-hmm. Even some of the more like uh, they did a Borg game, which spanned like multiple discs, had a lot of live action. They shot stuff with mm-hmm. Delancey as Q. I mean, it was neat at the time, but I think it's just probably too dated now, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were um, a couple of other companies doing more like traditional video game video games uh, in the 90s. Like the, the DS9 ones that came to mind were The Fallen and, and Harbinger. Maybe one of those is the one you were thinking of, Steve? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, oh God, there was the... The one, the one cool. There were a couple that were cool just because they got all the voices. There was a next gen one called A Final Unity, and they got all the main cast. And that was hmm. around the time the show ended. And that might be the only time they got everybody from next gen to do a voice to do their voices on a game. Um, but again, kind of feels dated now when you're playing it because it looks like an eight bit video game almost. Uh, and then even more amazing, there were two games with the original series cast, they got the entire cast. This is in the early, around the 25th anniversary. Mm-hmm. Um, they, it might, in fact, the first one might have been called 25th anniversary, maybe. Hmm. Um, and at first, that one didn't have voices. It was, it was like a, ga- a game on floppies. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but then they put out an enhanced CD-ROM edition, which had all the voices. Um, and it's really cool to play a game that actually has all the original series voices, uh, but this is early 90s voices, recordings on a game. So they sound like, you know, when Skype gets really screwy? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do know how that Skype gets really screwy. <laughs> <laughs> that's what they all sound like. Uh, they did a sequel that was even better than that one called Judgment Rights. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, they both look like Nintendo games, practically. So... <sighs> I don't know. We I don't think we've ever really had a good a really good Star Trek game. And then even when Star Trek had like really good production values, you know, was, uh, Activision, they did the Elite Force games, which were basically first-person shooters. Mm-hmm. Those were actually pretty good games, uh, especially the second one. Um, maybe that was the, the the first one. I think was Star Trek Voyager Elite Force, and then they did Star Trek Elite Force Two. Um, but even then. While they were pretty good games, they weren't very Star Trek like because they were first person shooters. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not. Yeah. So, I, I don't feel like. Like, we've had games that at the time were good. We don't have any games that have really withstood the test of time. I'm more of a console gamer, so I've, I mean, I've followed a lot of that, and I have a lot of console Star Trek games. 
like PS2, Star Trek Encounters, Star Trek Conquest, Star Trek Voyager Elite Force, they put that on PS2. Star Trek Shattered Universe, man, that game was... Most of these games were so bad that you would... They were just a mess, and they were obviously just cashing in on the license. Even slightly more recently, we had there was an Xbox early Xbox 360 game, Star Trek Legacy. That was cool because they got the the voices for all the captains, and they they somehow shoehorned a storyline that had each each of their ships in. Huh. Um, but still, and and that right at the t- at the time that was around the time Enterprise was going off the air, and that was one of the few times Bacula did something like that. Um, but again. Not a good game, really a mess. Um, they did a. Actually, this is super dated now, but they, I, I have sitting in. I'm mentioning it because it's sitting in a box in front of me. I have the original box here for an 8-bit Nintendo Star Trek game. <laughs> Star Trek. It was that same 25th anniversary game, but obviously this one does not have the voices. Wow, looking at these graphics, they're this pretty funny. Um, <laughs> but again, more recently, there was a terrible. Nintendo DS game called Star Trek Tactical Assault, which I think they also put on the PSP. Again, these are these are these games aren't even really worth talking about because they were all so bad. Um, most recently, and probably the highest profile Star Trek game we've had in in decades, uh, they did do a big budget uh, first person shooter, and this was Paramount, CBS, and. Uh, Bandai Namco? Namco was on this? Anyway, they did it. It was just called Star Trek. It was The story was supposed to be a, a prequel to um, Into Darkness, and it had Pine and Quinto as the voices, and the whole game was designed around co-op. Um, but it was so terrible that J.J. Abrams, and like J.J. Abrams was involved with it for quite a while, and then he realized it was going to be bad, and then he stepped away from it. Um, so it's pretty bad too, unfortunately. Uh, so I don't think we've ever had any good Star Trek games. So why do I collect them? I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> I wish I had an answer for it, because they they're all pretty terrible. And uh, maybe we should just start with video games and then move on to board games, since there actually are some good board games. <laughs> Instead of ending on a downer, which is what we have to do now. So. <clears throat> Uh, if Star Trek's never a downer. If you, well, if you collect, if you're just a collector, then you can have a heyday. Because all these games we've talked about, I have them all, even all the crappy computer ones. In fact, I have an, an old Mac that I keep around just so that I can play some of these old 90s games. And yes, it's true, that happens once every couple of years. But <laughs> every now and then I want to fire them up. Just for this podcast, I fired up um, the Genesis game. For Deep Space Nine, I don't. Do you guys remember the episodes where Odo would would run around jumping and punching? Hmm. It's not ringing a bell. <laughs> no. And that's really all he did. Well, he could also do both at the same time. He could jump up in the air and then punch. Hmm. Yeah. Is that the one where he's wearing red overalls and has a mustache? <laughs> <laughs> no, this was on the Genesis. Oh, I know that one. Sega does what Nintendo don't. So, so he had he had whiskers and blue hair in this one. Mm. Yeah, it was it was terrible. They did a Genesis 32X Starfleet Academy game, which is I mean they're all just they're they're all a terrible mess. Actually, the one cool thing about the DS9 game is that you get to hear the DS9 theme in like eight bit chip tunes sounding. It sounds like something somebody would do now to be cool. <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah. So 
Here's hoping someday we get a good Star Trek uh, video game. But at least we've got some good board games. And again, if you live in L.A. and you know how to play Catan, call me or email me. Yeah, all right. Let's move on. What's happening? Not much, man. We are joined by friend of the show, Joel. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so we're just gonna, we were going to talk about some of our favorite movies and TV shows of the year. So this is, Joel, this is our, uh, you know, normally we just do um, Star Trek episode reviews, but, you know, once you know, for the holidays, right. we take a break and we do just talk about whatever we feel like. So we thought we'd talk about some movies and TV shows. So obviously all, all of us, none of us have seen everything um, this year, but, uh, you know, I definitely have a couple of my favorite TV shows and a couple of my favorite movies I was going to mention. First and foremost, did everybody, everybody, you guys all watched Breaking Bad? Did you all finish that show? Oh, absolutely. Steve, Adam, you guys Breaking Bad people or no? No, I'm not. A no, Bad. I'll, I'll see it all someday. I'm sure. <laughs> well, it may be. Uh, I've been I've been thinking a lot about this. I think Breaking Bad might be the best television show ever made. Uh, the original Prisoner from the ni- from the 1960s for many years was my favorite TV show. Now this is not counting Star Trek folks, of course. Uh, but it was supplanted by Rotten Moore and David Icke, uh, Battlestar Galactica a few years ago. But I think there's some Breaking Bad may be the best TV show I've ever seen. And to me, I'm obviously we're not going to give any spoilers here because, uh, Steve and Adam haven't seen it, but for me, it, it ended just as strong as, as it was all along. Well, see, I've gotten into this with my brother like a half dozen times, and let's pretend for a minute that while I have a certain respect for Star Trek, maybe I don't hold it in the same esteem. So I'll put it up against, uh, we have the argument as to whether Lost or Breaking Bad are the best TV shows of all time. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to discount Prisoners simply because as much as you've introduced me to... um, different uh, genres of uh, movie and uh, TV, I'm going to say that I've never seen that, so I don't don't know what that is. Uh, But for me, the the Breaking Bad scenario holds a certain kind of uh, reality to it, a certain kind of realism that really makes it uh, sit well and and does a really good exploratory of uh, individual humanity. And I would say that... uh, it, you know, I, while my brother's not on the phone here, I will say that he might argue that Lost um, is, sits much better as an exploratory of all fantastical realms and blah blah well, I can tell you what I, I made it about halfway through Lost. I followed I followed it on a weekly basis for the first couple of years, sure. uh, and then I stopped. I stopped watching it because I was because it was around the same time as Battlestar. And I felt like Battlestar pretty much ruined me on shows like Lost. So my problem with Lost, my problem with Lost was you would watch an episode, and then by the end of the episode, because so much of it would always be like, like the structure was so it was like a flashback, and then they flash forward, flashback, and you'd realize that they actually only advanced like two minutes of actual screen time during this whole episode. And after once you start thinking about that, it just starts weighting it down, and I just felt like. They didn't take the kind of chance like Battlestar. Battlestar would they'd like you know I got a good idea here, but it's going to paint us into a corner and we're not going to know where the heck to go. I don't care, do it. If it's a good idea, let's just do it. 
there's no fluff in that show ever. And once yeah, I got I used to that, it like, kind of ruined me on Lost, and that's why I kind of quit watching Lost. Now, now Breaking Bad, and obviously this is just just my opinion here about you know Lost, but Breaking Bad did kind of the same thing, where they were it was incredibly courageous as far as the kind of choices that they made and the chances that they took. And more than anything, I think what made me what what made me so hooked on Breaking Bad, and I'm sure this is true for everybody else, and the reason that it might very well be the greatest show ever made, is that it's it's taken the concept of serialization to an unheard of level. You know, there are just out of I don't know how many episodes did they do, six no, probably more like seventy or something, however many there are. There were only a couple of times that they really flat out did this is kind of a start to finish ish episode. You know, like it it has its own beginning, a middle, and end. For the most part, every single episode bled so much into the previous and the next one, and it was just one story. More than anything I've ever seen short of soap operas that, of course, didn't have much of a narrative. Um, I think that, you know, our podcast here, normally being about Star Trek, it's it's shows like Breaking Bad that have us re-examining, like, you know, if Star Trek, when Star Trek comes back someday, it it's going to have to take into account the the Battlestar and the and the, the Battlestars and the Breaking Bads, you know, and and it makes watching binge watching. Yeah, <laughs> it's gonna have to modernize. Can watch it. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I don't ever think we'll see a, a Star Trek series at twenty five episodes ever again. I think those days are gone. Yeah, but um, it'll be probably more like ten to fifteen, like most. Like most serial, serial. I mean, you know, that's how most of them are right now. There's not, um, there's no such thing as a um, a filler episode anymore, which, uh, which is kind of a good thing. I mean, you kind of lose out on some of those um, good standalone episodes, but I think the, um, the the good outweighs the bad in that in that situation because you know, for every really good standalone episode you get, you get like four really bad. Are you guys watching any other shows? You guys watching any current shows? I I don't really. I've um, I. Used to watch The Office. Obviously, that's over. I um, watch South Park <laughs> every week, uh, whenever it's new. I um, I watch Modern Family. I like that. Um, the, you know, I often, as far as these shows like Breaking Bad, I, I I do appreciate that kind of thing. And historically, Brian, you've introduced me to these things, and I tend to just watch them all at once. And so I, I suspect someday I will. But currently, I'm not watching anything that I consider particularly special. Mm-hmm. Um, the most recent show that I've I watched, uh, I've been watching Mar- Agents of Shield, Marvel's Agents of Shield. I wouldn't call it a great show, but it's it's fun. I watched fun the action. pilot, and and I just I watched the pilot, and I was like, yeah, I, I, uh, I don't know, I don't know. I kind of I mean, how it develop for you? I mean, it, it takes a few episodes, but that one, I'm pretty suspect of, of Agents of Shield. We watched the first one, we. Got halfway through the second, were completely lost in it, in a way where it was like, yeah, it's time to go make dinner. <laughs> so um, I don't know. I don't know. For me, it's kind of fun. Yeah, it's 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 kind of a fun show. I wouldn't call it like a great show. It's just kind of a fun serial show, and it kind of. I mean, I like the way they tie in the movies with the show. Um, you kind of haven't quite seen that. I think my um, hesitation to kind of get into Breaking Bad is because um, I'm sure it's an excellent show excellent characters and all the whole nine yards and everything like that but there um to me there's kind of like a pattern in tv and it's 
Breaking Bad is not the only one. I'm, it's the same with Boardwalk and several other shows. I'll watch these shows, and I really don't like any of the characters. And I find that to be more the case more and more mm-hmm. to the shows I watch. And I know, like, if I started watching Breaking Bad, I'd, I'd go through every single one of them. But, I mean, this was kind of a pattern that started with Sopranos. For me, it was like, I love Sopranos. I loved all the characters, but I really, I couldn't, I couldn't empathize with any of them. There was yeah, no yeah, I can see that. You know, it's yeah. funny. I mean, to me, I never okay. watched, I never it watched Sopranos. We just me. started, uh, we just started watching it, and we're... Uh, I don't know. We're some, like into the second season now, so we're gonna watch, we're gonna watch the whole thing. But I can kind of see what you're talking about, you know. And it's I, it's like a really good show, and it's enjoyable to watch. But there's not really a character that you feel yourself kind of rooting for. That is not the case in Breaking Bad. Even even you know the main character Walter, um, yeah. I mean he's he goes from being a pseudo normal guy to just a bad guy. It's called Breaking Bad. But on one hand, it's still enjoyable to watch because. His performance, Brian Cranston, is so incredible. I mean, he is in freaking yeah. incredible. So that's that will keep you glued oh, to the sure. set, right? When he's on there. But also, there are a couple of other characters around him, like Jesse. You know, you find you'll find yourself rooting for Jesse um, and, and wanting him to get through, even though he. Well, what, what I find is, is that there, are, yeah, there are points. With, with that show where you can empathize with each and every one of the characters. And it actually allows you to jump around for who you're rooting for in a way that, you know, it's not really picking sides. Mm-hmm. And all the way to the end, I, I think they do a phenomenal job of, of uh, allowing you that kind of freedom. And I don't think other shows do that. Well, and it's, that's why I thought Lost in the same like, way. You, you kind of you pick a character and you run with it. Agents of Shield. Agents of Shield is a perfect example because like, we watched the pilot, and I just I'm like you know what it did. It didn't grab me, and there are so many shows that I still haven't watched. I'm just going to try something else and see if it grabs me. Yeah, you know? I need a, I need a fun show. That's why, and that's what I consider Agents of Shield. I always need a fun show. I mean, I was a big Eureka watcher, Eureka watcher, and mm-hmm. it's, that wasn't a good show, but it was just kind of like fun. Turn off your yeah. brain, yeah. And that's kind of how I look at Agents of Shield. Yeah, like it's I watched. Fun. It's just a fun I spent show. years watching. I watched all ten seasons. What about it. anything Chuck Lorre? Are you pardon? I, I said, well, what about anything Chuck Lorre? Oh Is God, I cannot watch okay? that. I can't watch that. <laughs> that that show that's Come on, it's all mindless. Mindless. You want mindless? <laughs> oh, what's the one that Charlie Sheen got replaced on? I oh my oh. God. No. Oh um um three yeah, yeah I uh, I only catch that. Oh yeah. Now, so we, that's rerun. We do the we do the Big Bang Theory um uh pretty much on a regular basis. And that's that's kind of about it. We we tried the uh two and a half man Ashton Kutcher changeover just because it was like, Hey, you know, whatever. Let's let's see what's happening with this. And it was awful. It was mm-hmm. just genuine it was like sound of music remake off. It was just Long time listen to our show will recall me saying this many times, but here's the fact. Like I tried but you would think I would love Big Bang Theory, but I just can't watch shows with laugh tracks. I've just given up for permanently all these things forever. If I try a show and, and I hear a laugh track, I, I just I have to stop. I'm not yeah, making a value judgment on anybody else on planet Earth, but I'm I'm never going to be able to watch a show with laugh tracks again as long as I live. It's never gonna happen, unfortunately. Okay, so so then what do you think about dads? Have you been watching dads? 
They, yeah. they tried to bring back the live audience. I, how do you feel about that? I'd, even Except if it was a live audience, I don't think I could do it. I, I couldn't do it. I, I, yeah, stuff, I right? couldn't do even live audience, yeah. Yeah, I haven't, yeah, I haven't really gotten into, I haven't gotten into the sitcom in literally years. The shows I'm watching really at this point are just Elementary and Castle, and then a couple of a couple of like sitcoms like New Girl and Mindy, but for the most part, there's nothing. Uh, I feel like I'm not really watching anything. We're we're still kind of watching Boardwalk Empire and Sopranos. We have given up on Game of Thrones. I know everybody else loves it, but just bored the crap out of me. I made it about halfway the second season before I quit. So, oh, Brian, Brian, you gave up too soon. It's just too, too, uh, no. too soon. I don't no, know. Thanks. I'm in the same place. I got I got two seasons in, and we were done. Yeah, it got tired. I, there, there's a amount of fantasy I can take, and that just wasn't it. Boardwalk Empire, I, 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 it's 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 so well made, and I and I enjoy it. But without, I don't want to spoil anything for you. I haven't watched it, but after the second season. You know, they get rid of a character who was kind of the only one that I was rooting for, the only one I kind of liked. And uh, like Caesar, like you were saying earlier, you know, once once you don't like anybody left, then it's kind of it's kind of hard to enjoy it. So well, this, been... uh, there was only so many oh, so many places they could go with that character. They needed to, and it really picks up in the third season. I don't know where you're at in the show. I don't know if you're in the third season or the fourth. Yeah, we're to be... the fourth. We're at the beginning of the third season. Oh, yeah, it it, oh. Get, it really gets going in the third season, and that's the same for Game of Thrones. Um, and um, you know, if if you like Boardwalk Empire, I mean, Game of Thrones, Boardwalk Empire to me is just as complicated as Game of Thrones. It's got just as many characters and that sort of thing. So, we are still there. Are a couple other shows, I guess. It's just that we're out of season for it, so I didn't think to mention them. But we are still watching both Walking Dead and Mad Men. Although I, I haven't seen the most recent season of Walking Dead because you know we're watching them on on Netflix, but. Uh, we just finished. What did you finish? Season three, I guess it was. Yeah, I haven't started three yet. Yeah. So. Oh, I did. House of Cards is pretty. Yeah, good. I'm. I'm in the same place. Yeah. No, I watched the. Uh, I watched the first season of House of Cards. I'll definitely. I definitely liked it enough that I'll watch the second season whenever it eventually comes out. So. Yeah. I mean, have you seen any other than Netflix originals? I know they've been coming out with more. Uh, we started watching Orange Is the New Black. Um. I watched the first couple. I'm probably done with it. I think my wife's going to keep going with it. She likes it. It's probably more, slightly more of a chick show, maybe. Yeah, we we got about eight episodes in, and it was it was that same thing where it was it was, it was a nice idea. It didn't really progress. Like you kind of hope for that hmm. weeds sort of. It's going to blossom into a show that takes off, and it, it, for us, it never got there. We were about halfway hmm. through the season, and we we cut. I tried that new J.J. Abrams produced, though not created, sci-fi cop show with Carl Urban. You guys see that one? No. I saw the pilot, but I didn't. Yeah, uh, almost. Almost oh, that, June, That's uh, right. Yeah, it's it is not uh, a particularly kid, good yeah. show, but if you're just a sci-fi nut, yeah, and you well, like your, cop shows, then it's it's can be fun to watch. But I, yeah, I that's can't. That's your Agents of Shield for me. Yeah, uh, I can't say it's a good show. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I'm looking forward to True Detective. I don't, I don't know, know that. Who one. What's that? Um, it's Matthew McConaughey. It's a HBO show. Matthew oh, McConaughey and Woody Harrelson. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I am really looking forward to that. So, um. mm. well, I think we're gonna massively go over on time for this section. Real quick, you guys have gotten what, what's your favorite couple of movies from the year? Anybody? I'll tell you my my two uh, favorite movies of the year. It's gonna have to be. Go ahead. Go. Well, I was gonna say my. Uh, 
I, again, I have kids, so I've seen Hunger Games, uh, whatever part two is, and uh, Wreck-It Ralph about 43 times. So uh, <laughs> I guess I'll have to go with Wreck-It Ralph by default. <laughs> uh, was that this year? I guess it was. No, it was, no, year. It was, a year no, ago. It was not. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're, <laughs> uh, I'll tell you, my, my two favorite movies this year, um, one shocked me. It was the Evil Dead remake from back in the spring, which... It blows me. Away. I've never liked. I always hate remakes, but that movie was awesome, and it was yeah. totally worth. I loved it. I loved it. And then the uh, probably my favorite movie of the year is Prisoners. If you I don't know if you guys have seen that one, it's I love um, it. it's good. Yeah, yeah. It was you saw it, Steve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That movie was just. It, yeah, they probably should have chopped twenty minutes out of it. It's a little too long, but um, it's incredible for performances. Great script. Um, my, it's one of the best-looking movies I have ever seen. The way it was shot is... Uh, I highly, highly recommend watching Prisoners if you haven't seen it. Anybody? I think we, all, I think we talked a while back about Superman when it came out. We all seemed like we all like Superman. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm still kind of been thinking about that one. You know, it's funny. I watched it. I liked it less the second time. Uh-oh. It's kind of weird. But we'll, we'll, we'll go into that later. <laughs> what's, what's your favorite movie this year, Caesar? Um, you know, um, I, you know, I don't get to the theater too often, so I'll just go with Gravity. You know, I'll start. I usually catch up on all the, you know, when they start coming out on disc and. and yeah, I should. I should kind of yeah, stuff. Gravity. Gravity is certainly up there in like my top five. It might be near the bottom of the top five, but it's definitely in the top five. And I think so, I, mean, I mentioned briefly earlier too that it's, it's uh, one of the rare exceptions where a post-converted 3D was awesome. I thought the 3D really brought a lot to it, but it's just it was a. Uh, Incredibly well done movie, and no shock because Alfonso Cuarón, like he did the best Harry Potter movie to me. The movie Children of Men was my favorite movie of the year it came out. I mean, he's a Atuma Matamian, of course, is fantastic, and he's he's an incredibly talented director. He's he's awesome. So yeah, I mean, um, I, I think the only movies I the only movies I really seen in the theater are the action movies. So I saw Thor and you know Superman, obviously Hobbit. So I mean, I'll go with Gravity and the Hobbit. Those are the ones I've seen. Thor the was like. Way better than the last Thor, but it's still just at best. A, a good movie. I, I, I wouldn't I, I wouldn't call it a, the best movie. Like all the re, all the really good movies are coming out right now, so I'll probably try. You know, um, there's a, there's like several that I'd, I'd like to go out and see, but um, yeah, I'll just go with Gravity because that's the, probably the most recent one that I've seen in theaters that's going to have any nominations for the next year. Steve, uh, what's your favorite movie of the year? Yeah, I don't. I'd have trouble saying a specific favorite, but what I would say are a couple things. One. I think if I had to pick, like, who's going to win the Oscar, I'd probably guess 12 Years a Slave. I don't know if that's my best, my favorite film, but uh, it, was yeah, certain, it was certainly hard-hitting and the kind of film that would win Best Picture. Um, Gravity I really enjoyed, and I, it was, a, it was a, quite the theatrical experience. I mean, the 3D was, I mean, it's more like an animated film in terms of the 3D, so it's, it's post-converted, but, you know, it's mostly like an animated film, you know, in that sense. And I, it was a very immersive experience, and I really enjoyed it. And I also say, I mean, I'm, I'm a bit of a Disney fan, but I think Frozen might be the best uh, Disney animated feature in years. I mean, I was wow. I was hugely impressed with it. Wow. Nice. I mean, it's it's uh, aesthetically pleasing. It's got awesome characters, and it, it has a really good message, especially for young people, and that's something kind of new, you know. Maybe they're uh, stepping up when, because Pixar's last, it seems like Pixar's, 
I'm not saying they're making bad movies, but their quality isn't. It it's not like it used to right, be. Where it's like, right. oh my well, it god, seems like Pixar's got a new movie. It's going to be so amazing, and you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, it would seem like they'd only come out with one movie. Now, like a year. Now it's like it's more about quantity than quality. No, they're still technically one. I mean, yeah, they've got their that B team like planes, but that was that was the normally they just do the that team does the direct to video stuff. They should never have put planes on screen, but I think they're still really just doing one movie a year. In one fact. Yeah, I, in fact, I think next year is going to be the first year without a movie because they delayed the dinosaur thing. Or am I off a year? Is it the year after next that there's not going to be a picture? Movie? I'm no, not, sure. not sure. I think dinosaur, it's next. Are you talking about that, that the little the dinosaur animated movie? I think that's coming out pretty soon, right? Oh, that's a different. Oh, yeah, different. Okay. Different no, Pixar. Pixar at the last minute fired the director and and delayed what was supposed to be next year's movie. So now I think they got no movie next year. So they had. to lay off a bunch of people, which is silly. You know, we're only making hundreds of millions this year, not billions. So we're going to lay some people <laughs> off. Come on. So, you, Brian, you can answer this. Is there another Toy Story in the works? I've heard rumors. No, I think Toy Story is done. Done? Okay. Yeah. I'd be surprised if they could get everybody back at this point anyway. But, anyhow. So, yeah, I got to see 12 Years a Slave. I love that actor, uh, as you'll mm-hmm. I, I love him, and I haven't seen it yet. I was supposed to see it one weekend, and then it fell apart but yeah i gotta see that i i have a feeling that that seems like my kind of movie you know mm-hmm. so i gotta see that all right well joel thank you uh so much for joining us i'm glad yes, i know it's a little bit last minute but it, I'm, i really appreciate that you're able to join us yeah no kidding. so I, maybe I next year get to bed. <laughs> uh maybe next year we'll uh We'll talk about the whole Hobbit trilogy. How's that? Can, can we discuss why why it's smog over smog? <laughs> can we can we go into that for a while? <laughs> How did they pronounce it? Remember the Everybody old the, the Ralph Bakshi animated Hobbit? You guys remember that one? Yeah, I do. But I don't remember how they pronounce the name? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good reference. Yeah, somebody, yeah. somebody pull that up. Yeah, I don't know how they pronounce that one. That movie scared me when I was a kid. Anyway, so thank you so much for joining us, Joel. We're going to move on to our next section. Uh, but it was great having you, and uh, hope to talk Absolutely. to you soon. Have a great holiday, man. See you. All right. Thanks, Yeah. Bye. Bye. All right, gentlemen. The last thing I want to talk about, uh, Benji, a uh, longtime uh, listener, he emailed me with some thoughts about – because. We were talking about, um, you know, following Next Gen, and I had mentioned how much I hope that they that they do the same, you know, new HD remasters for DS9 and Voyager. Um, and he said, "You have to think about it. How long has it been since we've known we could have Enterprise on Blu-ray, and they still didn't do it? They were afraid it wasn't going to sell because the fans who love Enterprise are really a minority." Uh, the majority of fans, you know, dislike Enterprise. And then he says, uh, I, I actually held off on buying the original series and next-gen Blu-rays for a while because I didn't want to end up investing in a new format for Star Trek, and then they quit halfway through. But when I heard, this is Benchy, when I heard season one of Enterprise was coming to Blu-ray, I started buying all of the Blu-rays. I figured if they're doing Enterprise, the most disliked series in the history of Star Trek and they're going to do the, they're going to have to do the whole f- franchise. Um, well, you, the reason they're doing all the reason they're remastering them is not for 
It's not for it's not for us. It's for syndication, because everybody's got HD TVs right now, so they have to keep up with formats. So, of course, if they want to keep syndicating all these shows, they have to you know they have to make them into HD quality formats, or they'll just kind of die off into the wind because that's just that's just the way of the world. Do you think so, we're going to get to a point where? Just if, I'm, if we're just talking about TV in general, let's say mm-hmm. there's a lot of product from the 80s and 90s that was standard def that's never going to be anything else, even if it was shot on film, that they're never, ever, ever going to go back and remaster. Um, at least 70s and prior, even for TV shows, they were probably cutting on film, and it's relatively easy to give us HD masters. So my well, question, I mean, if it, if, if it makes money in syndication, of course they will. If it doesn't, my question is, do you think Do you think we're going to get to a point where they're go- just for TV in general, where people are just not going to accept a lot of 80s and 90s programs, like they're just not going to be able to play them anymore because well, they're just going to look too bad. And people people won't be willing to accept them the way they look yeah, in, the, in, the, in the way they do now. I don't know. I think the same people that are willing, to, on, on, not with some exception, but I think on the whole, the people that, w- that want to go back and see those things are going to accept uh, quite a range of quality, you know, because they know what they're watching. You know, I mean, if it's something that's retro, vintage, whatever, if they're if they're going to watch that, they're going to accept a certain quality variation, I think. But that, but I mean, here's, I, here's I, an idea. I, but honestly, that hasn't that that really doesn't have anything to do with anything. It's because it's more more the the people. This if if you want to sell your show in syndication, let's say, let's just say Spike TV. I'm just just pulling pulling a, a cheap station out of the hat. They're going to demand that you have. A high quality program. Netflix is going to demand well, that you have high quality so they can stream it to their customers. But there are still some cheaper channels that are playing low quality stuff. If you wanted to sell your, maybe it would, maybe you'd be like, well, okay, it's going to cost me X number of dollars to make it in HD versus I'll just sell sell it to this cheaper station overall and make more money that way. You know? Well, I mean, you know, for for Star Trek, it, it's worth doing that because it's a popular, still popular show. It's still seen, watched all around the world. Will they do that for? Um, I don't know the, you know, the A Team. I don't 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 think that's a very popular syndicated show from the '80s. So I think it just kind of comes down to what's in demand and what's not in demand. Now, I mean, I'm sure they'd still be able to sell a lot of different um, shows from the '80s, '90s, and '70s in an SD format to cheaper stations but for star trek which is the most popular syndicated show ever of course they're going to upgrade it so that you they can sell it to the um the higher quality well one thing i disagreed with benji about enterprise coming on blue it was a minimal investment for them i'm not yeah, saying it's it cost easy. Them nothing yeah. but they already had hd masters they're kind of dated looking hd masters because all the effects work 720p, and every time it cuts to an effect shot, it's kind of like, well, mm-hmm. but they had HD masters already. It was just a matter of offering the Blu-rays and you know doing the encodes. Um, it's not like you know DS9 and Voyager would be the same monumental, uh, incredibly expensive and time-consuming uh, task that Next Gen has been. Yeah, um, I do not believe. It. I guess I feel like if they do DS9, then Voyager is inevitable. But I'm still not 100% convinced that we're going to get them. I guess I feel more confident than not that we will. But I'm I would believe it if we never did. And here's the here's the worst part: if we never did. Now that I've seen Next Gen, <laughs> <laughs> I think watching 
DS9 and Voyager in their current incarnations would be very painful. <laughs> yeah, that'll stink. I, I'm I'm optimistic. I, I see it both ways. I see how you're, what you're saying. I mean, next gen has a, a huge, really, it has a following. You know, it kind of was the the big thing as far as the series, and that's what you know restarted Star Trek on TV. It's had a huge following. The DS9 and Voyager don't have quite that, you know. But at the same time, you also have a little bit of sunk costs. You know, you have a team that knows what they're doing, and the more they do this, the better and more efficient they get at it. I'm hoping that's what um, yeah pushes. And on that it. note, that's why I kind of felt like if they didn't, if they just go right into DS9, like honestly, yeah. it would mean they're probably they would have to already be working on it, and just they're just not telling us because yeah. they're they've got to be already near the end of next gen because they're putting these they're spending so there's so much lead time on on the Blu-rays, right? Yeah. yeah. That here we are, December of 2013, uh, season five just came out on Blu-ray last month. There's only two seasons left. They're probably already done with next gen, so. If they go right into DS9 with the same team, all the same workflow they're already used to, just do it the same way, then I think we'll get it. If we don't hear an announcement soon, if we don't hear an announcement by the time next gen is done, so let's say within the next mm-hmm. few months, then I'm going to think, okay, we're not getting DS9 in Voyager. At least not in, not in the next few years. Right, right, right. Maybe they'll like revisit it when it's cheaper. But on, on the other hand, I don't know that it's ever going to get much cheaper for I them. Know, yeah. yeah, CGs can get a little bit cheaper with modern software, but so much of it is just this incredible, the cleanup process for the film and the telecine, that's not going to get cheaper. If anything, that's going to get more expensive as we, mm-hmm. time goes on and we have fewer and fewer of those telecine machines because nobody, eventually nobody's going to shoot film anymore and there's, the only reason they're going to have those machines around is for, you know, uh, library content. Um, I just can't see why they wouldn't do it. It's just an investment into the future. Um, and, you know, the blue, like I said before, selling the Blu-rays, that's, to me, that's kind of a bonus for them. I think if they were just specifically doing it for selling the Blu-rays, we would have never seen it because they're not going to make their money back on actually selling the Blu-rays to you know the the people who are going to buy them. There's there's no way they're going to make that make their money back. They're going to lose it. I think the real reason they're doing it is for syndication. That's that that's where they're going to make their money back on it. Well, I certainly hope we get it, and I hope we get heck. I- I'm surprised we haven't gotten the animated series at this point. If it really was just about, well, we know these Star Trek core buyers, there's, there, it's a niche, but they're so passionate, they'll buy it all. They've got film masters for the, for the animated series. Well, those will probably be, that'll probably be after Voyager and DS9, mm-hmm. if ever. Uh, well. I'm confident so. we'll see them all. <laughs> You guys got your. I, I bought one of the new, um, one of the Hallmark, one of this year's. I know it's Steve, you get them all, but I, I try to just. I don't. I don't get everything, because it's it's just too costly. But I did get the uh, the Kelvin this year. Cool. Yeah, it's cool. It's a cool. Cool little ship, actually. Yeah. All right. I've had a problem. I've I've bought my son almost every little toddler Star Trek thing there is, so I can't. I'm I'm like out. There's nothing else I can get him. <laughs> There's not a lot of Star Trek toddler stuff, you know. <laughs> Although he is playing with his um, Spock, Mister Potato Head, quite a bit now. Excellent. But he won't call him Spock because he has a Spock bear, and that's Spock. I see. That's, that's yeah. logical. Yeah. He just he just he says no. That's not Spock. That's Spock. <laughs> he's two, folks. He's two. 
Well, gentlemen, I think we are wrapping up. What is this? Our uh, third holiday episode. Yes. Awesome. Adam, I know you're already actually already on holiday. Are you at your folks place? Yes, I am. So I appreciate you're taking the time to uh, get this in. No Steve, you're going to be going. Uh, you're going to be heading out for the holidays in just a couple of days, right? Well, I, I'm uh, in the banking business, so unless I have vacation time, I work every day except Christmas and New Year's. So it's kind of like I have to zip around all over the place with just one day off each time. So, but you're still going somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll be going family and my fiance's family and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, you know, like we didn't say anything on this show because I, I never know like how personal we can get. But <laughs> I'll say it now. Congratulations to Steve on his engagement. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Yay, Steve! <laughs> so our show may be taking a break next summer, folks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. So uh, happy holidays, happy, uh, happy New Year. Same to you, sir. Yeah, and uh, I look forward to more Star Trek in the future. Cool. Thanks again. Thank you, our listeners, for sticking with us for yet another year. And uh, you can follow us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash trekcompanion. Our Twitter uh, handle is at trekcompanion. You can send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com. And until next time, I hope you all have a wonderful Christmas and an excellent New Year. Take it easy. Bye, guys. See you. I passed it.